0: hospitality, welcome, it's a strange and beautiful thing. And the fact that God, in his own wisdom, uses this kind of language of hospitality and welcome to describe how he wants to be with us is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. There is a poem on this mug, just so you know, the 12 guys I meet with, we are really dorky. All right? It's the nerd herd for sure. (laughs) And I don't know if you know what Herod is, but Herod is in Beowulf, the mead hall where the men gather. So this has a poem on it from when Herod awakens. The door is unbroken and unbarred. A solitary spear now rests in the stock. The hall, surveyed and secured, is swept slowly out of its great gabled slumber. The first fire is lit for warmth and provisions well laid for welcome. The Lord, lowercase l, having arrived early along the shortest track now waits for the fellowship. The others, not yet traveling or track bent, are steadying a home, stoking fires before leaving. To learn into the coming days, to lean into the coming days of shelter, a foretaste of the end of battle. Herod has begun to heave with warmth. Its raftered ribs yawn, aching to enfold the brotherhood quartered under one thole-thatched roof. Told you we were nerds. The guy right that has a Ph.D. in Hebrew and is an FBI agent. Total nerds. <laughs> Der Mensch ist was er ist. The man is what he eats. Or as popular known, you are what you eat. Don't think of it in like a diet kind of way, though my mom used to say when I would eat too many gummy bears, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> but that's not what Feuerbach is talking about here. He was making an argument against spirituality. He was what you would call a philosophical materialist, so only matter matters, right? Nothing else exists. And he was trying to make the case in saying that, that this spiritualism that we have is folly. Two years later, another guy, a German dude named Alexander Schmemann, who's an Orthodox priest, Said without knowing it, he was espousing the most spiritual idea of humanity. When Jesus taught us to pray, the first thing we ask for ourselves after praying that his name would be honored, after that his, we pray that his kingdom is, would come and his will be done, the first thing we do is pray for food, for daily bread. Schramann says, The Bible says man is created first of all as a hungry being and the whole world is food. Y'all, this is going to get really esoteric at times and I'm having these heroic readings and all those other things in my head. But what I'm trying to do is is connect for you the reality of this kind of spirituality that is embodied and has food and, and Jesus himself says he's the bread of life. And let that metaphor mess with us in really beautiful and good ways. Let us lean into that reality. shriman says, man must eat in order to live. He must take the world into his body and transform it into himself, into flesh and blood. He is indeed what he eats, and how he eats, and where he eats, and with whom he eats. And what he eats matters, and who with whom he eats matters eternally. And this, the world God created, is one giant banquet table for people to to enjoy it's a wonderful wonderful thought so the bible starts with a hungry humanity right and and, they their eat by the grace of god his provision of the world and the bible ends with us at a table eating together again in this banquet called the, the 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 wedding feast what is all that about Y'all, give us our daily bread. It's thick like goulash, man. There's a lot going on in that. And when Jesus was on the scene, he said, and I'll read John John 6 later, but he said he was the bread of life. You had to eat on him that his flesh and blood. And people got wigged out by that because that's wigged out worthy. But what is this? We turn to our texts today, both are at the end of letters written to two different churches, one from Peter, one from the writer of Hebrews, which nobody really, really knows who that is, and and, and toward the end of Hebrews, it just says this, let brotherly love continue, let Philadelphia continue, no comment on the game, (laughs) do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers and thereby some of you have entertained angels unawares. First Peter says, and 4, again at the end of the book, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, multifaceted grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles, the very words of God. And one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified. God would be given more weight in the world through Jesus Christ, and he ends with doxology. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so we're in this sermon series about uh, God's mission in the world and our participation, uh, how we engage in the world, and we enter into the world with words and deeds to bear witness to this multifaceted grace that God has for us in Christ Jesus, to represent the king who serves at table, who loves to invite people to his, into his home. So far, we talked about Jesus's mission in Luke 4, and then our mission in Micah 6. And these next two weeks, we're going to talk, you know, a little bit more strategy, welcome, hospitality. We're going to talk about this as it relates to God, hospitality and belonging. Being welcome in a place for rest and sustenance. It's an amazing thing, and it's at the very heart of, who God, of how God reveals himself in the world. Show hospitality to strangers, it says. Show hospitality, in the other verse, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Those words there, show hospitality to strangers, it is, um, it is, it is love and stranger stuck together in one word. That's what it means they aren't suggestions for your party planning. It's not a way to win friends and influence people. Showing hospitality, biblically speaking, is is welcoming people that would not normally be in your world and in your life to be with you and you with them. In the first century, the church as a whole They had these crosses that were on the buildings, like outside the building, and they were either lit by candles around, not the crosses themselves, but around, you know, they were lit up by uh, torches or, um, or candles or something like that. That was to show that anybody who was walking through town had a place to stay and a meal if they needed it. You'd be walking through the desert or walking through some terrain and you would look for this cross, and that meant you had a place to stay and a meal we were the original airbnbs the early church was one that was known for its hospitality and hospitals inns and hospitals were created by people who were amazed that jesus would welcome us like this a guy who didn't have a place to lay his head created people that gave everybody a place to lay their head amazing inns and hospitals they're born even your enemies, maybe especially your enemies. But that night, coming to that place, you sat at the table. There's a legend. I love this. I think it's true. It's not really an urban legend because it's ancient. It wasn't a city. Um, But there's this legend, and it was that two men were about to have a sword fight, a duel. They were enemies. And then they realized I don't know if they were talking smack and realized, I don't know know the whole story, but um, they realized that their fathers actually had a meal together. And they could not go through with the duel. Because their families shared a meal together. Amazing. Their knees of the fathers were under a table, and so we will not solve our dispute in this way. Amazing. Now, I know we live in a world that confuses entertainment and hospitality this is again not about party planning i love a good party don't get me wrong but there is a difference between just a party and something born of welcome of peace of rest of a good meal welcome is a form of evangelism hospitality is a form of mission it just is After Hebrews says that we should show hospitality to strangers, he says that some of you have actually hosted angels unawares. Just in case you're wondering, nobody really knows what that means. That's a tough one. There's lots of good ideas, and if you want to have coffee about it, I'll talk to you about some of them. The point is, though, the major point is that the mundane reality of hospitality and welcome has eternal realities tied to it that we don't know nothing about. Has spiritual uh, results and spiritual things happening that was just not on our radar, because it's more than the materials. There's more going on there. There is a kind of magic in it that we don't understand, and that's okay. It's why these kids are our kids are making these awesome bags for their neighbors who have no place to lay their heads, just a reminder that they're seen, that they're loved, and we can give them something: food and friendship, kindness and welcome. That's what this is all about. Oh, love. Above all, Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly, earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Yes. It costs to be hospitable. Time, money, effort. And so it can be grumbly at times. The Bible's a realistic book. Oh, not again. More people, you know, especially you introverts out there. God love you. But it's super honest that it can be done grumbly, if you will. But what it's asking for is a radical predisposition toward the stranger, the sinner, the broken, the fool. To display love and mercy like that love and mercy has been displayed to us. It costs. It costs. It is inconvenient at times. And it will make you want to grumble. But it is the very way Jesus welcomed us. And it has to be a kind of open-hearted, open-walleted, open-calendared kind of way of being. And that's hard. And the only way you can get there is to recognize how you've been loved like that yourself. Which is awesome. Because that is as equally as true, if not more. That we have been welcomed as fools, as weaklings, as rebels, as people who don't really want to sit down with God anyway. And he's been kind to do that. And that covers that multitude of folly that happens in a community. And when we realize that the grace we receive is ungrumbled grace, then we can start to muster some of that for our neighbors. Hospitality is not entertainment. Hospitality is not denial that it's costly. But our mission is an alternate way of being in a world that likes to shun people all the time to make someone else an outsider in a hostile world, to bring hospitality to bear. In 2014, I looked over a sermon that I was, not on this passage, but some some of this topic, and I wrote, I'm wholly convinced that the next 50 years of evangelism outreach, cultural engagement, and love of neighbor will not be marked first by our convincing arguments, the soundness of our rhetoric, or our positions of power. But by the way, grace transforms us into people who bring forth beauty and generosity in our hospitality, love, and welcome as we bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. I think I hold it more true now, in 2023, than in 2014. Again, this is not about entertaining. It's not just party culture. Or Parties are paltry if they don't have this welcome. They don't have this invitation to be. I mean, there's no application other than have somebody over, take somebody to coffee, learn and listen, be curious, enjoy. Enjoy. Your your house doesn't have to be freshly vacuumed. I mean, my house always is freshly vacuumed, but my wife has a, a little issue with that, so she says. This. Um, but that's for her joy at that point, not not impressing. Um, give from what you have. If your pantry's not fully full, it's okay. Best, uh, one of the most amazing acts of hospitality I ever received was I was in college and I was in Ethiopia for six weeks. And, one of, and by the way, I was um, a superintendent on a job site. We can all know that was ridiculous. Um, but one of the ver- workers invited me home to his house to say a house is more of a hutch. Um, and he made coffee for me. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life true welcome, full of humility and grace, and he got something about hospitality that I had nothing, I knew no, nothing about. He taught me that day. He knew better than I. Peter goes on to say that when you're doing this, there's talking to do. And you actually speak the very words of God. Oracles, love that. The serving we do is, comes from a strength that comes from him. All of it is grace received and then grace given. All of it is his kindness. We are curators of the grace we received, and we set out a table for people trying to display the unmerited favor and kindness of God, knowing full well we don't deserve to sit at his table, but he is glad to invite us the same. We talk with our mouths now filled with the choices of foods. Every single meal you've ever eaten has been a gift to you. From God's hand. We don't have people in our home to impress. We have people in our home to be impressed by this God that is so gracious. Don't worry about your menu. Worry about your manner. Though, if it's an act of love, worry about your menu and go for it. Some good sauces. Go for it. Sweets and savories and give yourself to it. But remember, it's all about having someone imbibe or receive God's kindness. We eat and we speak to show God's grace to the world. The bad news of the gospel is that we were alienated from God, fighting against his ways, isolated in our self-centeredness and our rebellion. But in the good news of the gospel, is even given that he welcomed us to himself through his death and resurrection. And he says... He ends the whole deal that we'll eat together. And wildly enough, he's going to serve us at table. Unbelievable. The parts of you that you hate, he is welcomed. The people you hate, he is welcomed. That's the radical hospitality of God. That's what we're trying to kind of jump into, into this, this, this river of beauty that's going forth, born of this divine love. His death, his resurrection, his second coming, all of it, a place to eat and rest with him. All of it, scripture says, that God may be glorified. All that just means, that's churchy talk, but all it just means is the weight of who God is would be known. That's all it means. Or or if it's the Greek, it's more of the, the brightness, the shininess of Jesus would be known. And that he would reign in that kind of love and we would be with him. So Feuerbach, Feuerbach, the guy who said you are what you eat, was right in ways that he didn't know. Um, But I'm just going to end, and I don't don't really have like a flashy illustration. I just wanted to read John 6 for you because I want you to live into this kind of like esoteric mix of metaphors that God's doing about real food that we eat and the fact that he calls himself the bread of life. And I want you to just let your mind be blown by it while I read it because that's good for us. He had just fed 5,000 people, all right? This is the beginning of John 6. He just fed them, and people were like, oh my gosh. They tried to make him king right there, and he ducked out, crossed the river, came back. And then he starts talking to them, and in the Jesus kind of way, that kind of messes with people sometimes. He, he don't play. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, But the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. This is Jesus. And they said to him, what must be done to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Believe in me. So they said, then what sign do you do do that we may see you and believe? And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son of God and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him. Gotta love that grumbled came in. I am the bread that came down from heaven. What is he saying? Isn't this Jesus Joseph's son? That happens a lot, by the way. (laughs) Whose mother and father we know? How did he say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them, and I'll raise them up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, and I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give uh, for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus said to them, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you may not have life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on me my flesh and, my, and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Love the understatement. It's brilliant. And many turned away from him that day, turned back, and no longer walked with him. So Jesus turned to the twelve, and he said, do you want to go his way as well? And Peter answered, the guy who wrote what we just said, and said, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I don't know where to go. I don't even know exactly what you just said, and it it is weird in me out, but where else am I going to go? There's something mystical and magical and beautiful about how all this connects and how it manifests in a simple meal, a simple cup of coffee, a simple embrace in hospitality. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us, help us not be stingy with our time and our food and our friendships. It's a lot and it takes a lot, but help us, Lord, and help us be reminded again and again that you have welcomed us, fools and weaklings and rebels and selfish people, but you've done something in us. By your welcome of us, may we participate in your welcome to the world. We pray in your name. Amen.